Well, good morning, good morning, as I always like to say when I'm up here. It's good to see you guys. What a blessing to be here this morning. We're in the middle of a series called The Five Solaces of the Reformation. And if you're here for this morning for the first time, or maybe it's been a few weeks since you've been here, you're thinking, what in the world is the five solaces of the Reformation? And if you've been here the last two weeks... You know exactly what I'm talking about. Congratulations. You're learning. You're growing in your faith. In an age of corruption and false teaching, you see, there was these group of guys that got together and said, something's not working. Something's not right. And this was over 500 years ago. This was in the 1500s. We're talking about Martin Luther and the Great Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. You see, Martin Luther decided enough is enough. Something's not connecting. Something doesn't feel right. Something isn't right. And so he said, I'm going to do something about it. And he made a list, 95 theses, they say. It's 95 points. He took those, that letter, that article, and he literally nailed it to the front of the church door. Can you imagine someone in our church being so upset, so devastated over the direction that they thought we were going in was so devastatingly wrong that they didn't send me an email, they didn't send me a letter. They literally took something, wrote it up, took a big old nail and nailed it to the front of the church door. That's exactly what Martin Luther here did. And it's absolutely astonishing because the result of that was he was excommunicated. They told him, get away. Martin Luther, what you're suggesting is crazy. It's heresy. It's wrong. And you can't do it. Why? Because in an age of corruption and false teaching, see, the the reformers stepped back and they returned to the scriptures. And there they found the way of salvation. It wasn't in the relics or the mass. It wasn't in all the different things, the indulgences and all these superstitions. They rediscovered the ancient way of salvation. And surprise, surprise, dare I say it, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you that have been here the first two weeks of this five-week series, this sounds redundant. Good. I'm glad it does for you. Get it in your heads. Put it in your heart and begin to live it out. That there's something greater than you paying indulgences. There's something greater than worshiping idols and, and relics. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus and Jesus only. They rediscovered the ancient way that will never become ancient in my mind and heart. It will always be current. It will always be relevant. It will always be fresh. It will always be The gospel of Jesus Christ, it never changes. It was, it is, and always will be the power to restore salvation. This broken relationship that we have by God because we are naturally in our DNA sinners. And God has made a way. The five solaces were their attempt to summarize the biblical teaching on salvation. That God made us alive. We're not dead. We are alive. And that God is completely for us. There are people walking around our community, dare I say, maybe even sitting in these pews right now that feel God is against you. That you feel as though everything you try to accomplish, God is right there putting roadblocks in front of you because he's not for you. He's against you. Well, I tell you that God is for you. Amen. Yeah. Am I preaching good this morning? I hope so. Because it's not about me, it's about you. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. If I'm doing nothing more up here than just entertaining you like a little monkey and juggling for you, that's great. You might leave here saying, that was fun, but you will leave here unchanged. What I want you to do is walk in these doors and walk out differently, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And if you happen to have a little fun and laugh along the way, that's okay with me too. God made us alive. He's completely forced. And here are the five solaces. And by the way, sola is Latin for alone or lone, by yourself, by itself, unoccupied, uncompanioned by no one, alone. In other words, God doesn't need anyone. God does not need anyone. It is just simply Christ alone. Sola. By God's grace alone. On the basis of Christ alone. Received through faith alone. To the glory of God alone. With scripture alone as the final decisive authority on truth. There they are. Grace alone. Christ alone. Faith alone. God's glory alone. And scripture alone. This morning we're going to focus on sola faith. Faith alone. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Luke chapter 23, verse 32 through 43. Luke 23, verse 32 through 43. And I've got to be straight up honest with you. Many times you're going to see the scripture on the screen behind me. Sometimes you're going to see just the title graphic. You know why that is? Folks, I'm not one of these pastors, not one of these preachers, speakers, whatever you want to call it, that does his message six weeks in advance. I'm just not. Yes, I know what we're doing. I know that coming up soon we're going to do a series on I am a church member. We're going to talk about what it means to be part of a church. I know some of the things we have coming up. In fact, we have a calendar. The elders have it. I've shared it with them. All those stretched out all the way through the end of December and the things that we're doing. But when it comes to pouring out the word of God, I don't believe that's something I can do six weeks from now, talk to you and and plan out exactly what I'm going to say six weeks from now. I believe God speaks to me every single day and he unpacks things in my heart and mind. So what you're getting is the freshest word of God that I believe I can give you this morning. And some of you may say, I like the scriptures up on the screen. Can't you put it up there? Yes, we can, but sometimes God lays upon my heart like he did this morning. Tim, I want you to share about the two thieves on the cross when Jesus died. I said, what does that have to do with faith alone? And don't you know arguing with God never works? I don't know why. My wife and I and my girls, we went to the zoo yesterday. Something about being at the zoo just started stirring up in my heart that God is a very creative artist. Yeah? When you look at, did you know that pink flamingos are the loudest creature on earth, I think? When I was there, these pink flamingos were screaming and hollering. I was like, they're so beautiful and so tiny and little petite. But my goodness, they've got loud mouths. Yeah? The zebras are amazing. The giraffes are amazing. It's so awe-inspiring. God is a very creative artist, and he's not an artist that just creates something and creates something and create and becomes stale and uniform and just no, he is completely uniquely expressive. And you know what? That's how God made me. So this morning I hope to creatively, uniquely express to you something fresh God's laid on my heart. Not something I put in the media shout or the pro presenter or proclaim or whatever it is we have now six weeks ago in order that you could read it on the screen. How about you grab a Bible in a pew right now and open it up? I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm not trying to... Boy, I feel like I'm yelling at you this morning. I promise you, I'm just passionate. I'm passionate. Thank you. Praise God. 
I told my wife I was going to bring my glasses this morning. She said, don't worry about it. I'll bring them for you. She didn't show up this morning. So let's see if I can read this. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. I keep raising this podium up higher and higher. Pretty soon it's going to be like up to here. I'm going to be looking at it like this. Y'all know this story in Luke chapter 23, verse 32. It's Jesus dying on the cross with two thieves, one on each side. Verse 32 goes on. It starts off by saying this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed, to be murdered, to be killed. When they came to a place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals. The one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. You've heard the story, yeah? I hope you have because it is truly, truly the gospel we're reading right now. Verse 35, the people stood watching. Like a car accident that happened in front of them, they just stood there watching. How many times do you see on the news a police officer just being brutalized by people? And people standing around with their phones not helping and laughing. It's ludicrous. It's devastating. It's despicable. That's modern day Biblical times, he was being murdered before everyone as, as though it was entertaining some sort of show. And the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. <laughs> Whatever. I'm a doctor of theology. Look at him. He's just on the cross. Carpenter. I know who he is. He's nothing. Look at him. He's on the cross dying. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Now, if he's Jesus, oh, we saw him do all these miracles. Look at him up there. Can't even save himself. What a pathetic loser. Verse 36. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar. And he said, if you are, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. In a moment, Jesus could have just said, yes, watch this. And boom, it would have all been revealed. In his glory, he would have done that. But he didn't. You know why? Because he hung on that cross for you and me. Verse 38. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. It wasn't meant to be some honor. It was like, yeah, well, this is your king. (laughs) This is your mighty king, Jesus. Look at him. Let's label him. How many of you have been labeled before? Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. A guy is dying on the cross, a murderous death. And he has the arrogance to join in on the people hurling insults from the ground. He's hurling insults at Jesus while hanging on the cross next to him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's like, save save yourself and while you're at it, save us. Kind of sarcastic, I believe. Verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you're under the same sentence. We're all under a death sentence, people. Listen to me. Every single one of us sitting in this room have a death sentence. We are dead men and women walking. Every single one of us. But only by the grace of God, through faith alone, is that sentence canceled. 
since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. See, this, this thief on the cross knew, just in his heart, he knew what's happening to me is just and right. I, I'm getting what I deserve. But this man has done nothing. This man has done nothing. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Do you know when you cry out to Jesus with faith alone, when you cry out to him instantly, immediately, today he's going to save you. He's not going to put you through a bunch of hoops and a test and hurdles that you have to go through. When Peter began to sink in the water, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and saved him. When this thief said, Jesus, just remember, will you just, just remember me when you're in your kingdom? And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, today you'll be with me in paradise. With me. I'm not going to be high and mighty over there and you can kind of hang out over here and look at me. No, you can be with me today. Faith alone we're talking about this morning. What do you need to be with Jesus? Do you need to have it all right, all correct? Do you need to be perfect? Do you need to give up all sin in your life? Stop drinking and smoking and running around and all the things that you've done in your life? Do you need to quit all of that first, then come to Jesus? No. Something scandalous as just saying you just simply need faith alone and come to Jesus. That's what we're talking about this morning. Let's pray. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just overwhelm this congregation, this body of believers that are here right now. Overwhelm us with a deep sense of your presence, your comfort, and your peace. Father God, we bind the devil. We shackle him in the name of Jesus and send him straight to the pit of hell. He has no place in this, pl- in this room right now, in this holy, holy place, this sanctuary right now, Father God. I pray that you would completely clear our hearts and minds of all distraction and all chaos and all dissension that we might focus. Focus in on the very words that you would have us hear, that it might penetrate our hearts and leave us, lead us to the saving grace knowledge and grace alone, through Christ alone, through faith alone, Father God, this morning, right now, in Jesus' name, amen. So the thief did nothing. He could do nothing to earn his way into paradise. The thief did nothing, he could do nothing to earn or deserve the right to be with Jesus. Do you know what a privilege it is to be with Jesus? What a privilege. And can we earn it? Can we deserve it? No. The thief did nothing but God. Everybody say, but God. I'll say it like you mean it. But God. God had a different plan. And he's got a different plan from you. When you leave here this morning, I want you to think two things, faith alone and but God. Because it's only because of but God that you have faith alone. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, he wrote to the Romans and he told the Romans and he's telling us today, fresh living, breathing, active word of God is true thousands of years ago. It's true right here, right now, today. It's for you. This is God's love letter to you. Are you reading it? If someone you were passionately in love with wrote you a love letter and slipped it to you, would you just take it, crumble it up, and throw it away? No, when I was in school and that happened to me, I couldn't wait to unfold it and read it 
And over and over and over and over again, I would read it. This is God's love letter to you. Paul wrote a love letter to the church in Rome. And it's for us today. And there he tells us that no one will be declared righteous. No one. No one's just declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. See, no, no one in this room is good enough and can do everything exactly to the T of the law. Why is the law so stringent? Because God wanted to set up a pattern that you try to observe the law and you fail. You try to observe the law and you fail. You try to observe the law and you fail. He wanted you to get that pattern down because when he steps on the scene, but God can and did fulfill the law so we don't have to. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law, by working hard, by being perfect. Righteousness from God comes through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone. And it's for all of us. It's for all of us. Romans chapter 3 verse 20. Flip open your Bibles to that. Romans chapter 3 verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it starts off. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. It's because we see the stringency that is, that is the law. And we look at that and we say, I, I, there's no way. I'm a sinner. But now a, right, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been, known, has been made known to which law and the prophets testify. Apart from the law, that's grace we're talking about. Verse 22, the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Does it come through any other way? We are all in dire need of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Can we achieve it, obtain it, earn it, deserve it any other way? But through faith, the answer to that is no. The only way to receive it is through faith and faith alone. And faith in what? Faith in Christ alone. Goes on. There is no difference. I'm sorry, verse 22. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Even a thief hanging on the cross, dying, that was available for him. To everyone, to people from all walks of life, it's available. Verse 23, that famous verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Amen. All you have to do is just believe. All you have to do, thank God. I've got good news for you this morning. Thank God we don't have to pass a test or complete a physical exam or be this tall to ride. We don't have to step up and say, oh, I missed it. That's Old Testament. Or compete in a race. It's not like Gary and I and Doug and the three of us were going to get up and the, the, the first one crosses the line gets God's grace. And the rest, the, both of us are going to fail, right? 
That's not how it works. We're not competing for God's grace. He's got plenty of it. It goes all around to all people. And all we need to do to earn God's favor and grace and forgiveness is just put our faith in him. We don't earn it even. It's just given to us freely. Now, I want to say this. There's this big, I mean, it's a huge, there's, there's whole theological courses you can take on the basis. Is it faith or works? Or is it both? While works will never get you to Jesus, Jesus will put you to work. Oh, it's a wonderful bumper sticker. Good t-shirt, a nice tweet, a nice Facebook post. It's probably not even an original thought. I'm sure I read it somewhere along the line. You probably heard something like that. While works will never get you to Jesus, Jesus will put you to work. You see, there are do's and don'ts. This law of grace, this wonderful, wonderful law of grace instead of the law of death. This wonderful law of grace found through Christ alone by the basis of faith alone. Doesn't mean there aren't do's and don'ts. There, there are absolute truths, you know. There are do's and don'ts in the word of God. Because we live a faith that is active and alive. We're to participate. This requires effort on our part, starting with faith to believe we can accomplish all that God has called us to. And if you're here this morning, you're wondering, do I have a purpose? Do I have a reason to live? I want to tell you, yes, you do. And for some of you, you're like, well, yeah, of course. But you know, there's probably somebody in this room right now that's struggling with taking their own life. Maybe you've attempted it before. Maybe it's something you're thinking about, you're processing. The devil's knocking on your heart and your mind telling you, just do it. But I want to tell you, that's, that's a lie, straight from the pit of hell. God has got something amazing for you to do. And through faith in Jesus Christ, the grace of God will just overwhelm you and sweep into your heart and mind and life. And you can accomplish great things by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we as humans, unfortunately, we've inherited the original sin from our ancestor, Adam. How many of you have done these DNA testings, Ancestor.com and 23andMe? We're all eager and, and we're very excited to try to figure out what part of the country do you come from? What, what am I prone to? What's hereditary in my life? And all these things. We try to figure out all these things because we want to know more and more. Information is gold. And we want to know all about where we come from and who we are. I've got a sad, sad, bad news for you. (laughs) That we inherited some seriously pretty heavy stuff from Adam and Eve. Thanks, Eve. (laughs) Adam was just going along. It's true? No, it's not true. As humans, we've inherited a nature that is enslaved to sin. Are prone, we are prone to sin. Every chance you get, you just stumble and fall. That's why you try and you fail. You try, you fail. And praise God, you fall down 99 times and the grace of God says get up 100. But we have inherited a nature that is enslaved to sin. And because of our nature, we are naturally enemies of God. And we're lovers of evil. 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about this. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, Mark these words, in the last days people will be lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, arrogant, rude, disobedient to their parents, lovers of money rather than lovers of God. It goes on and on. And you read that as if it was just written yesterday. But that's our nature, to be enemies of God. 
So we need to be made alive. I love Acts chapter 4, verse 12. We must be saved. Shared this last week, I think. What happens to a drowning man if he's not saved? He drowns and dies. He must be saved. Even if he's like, no, I don't need any help. No, you do need help, bro. You need it in the worst way. No, I'm fine. I got this. No, you don't. You're going to die. You must be saved. So we need to be made alive, regenerated. And that's a whole other theological term we can unpack later. It's about regeneration. So we need to be made alive so that we can even begin to have faith in Christ to begin with. But God, yeah, but God graciously chooses to give us freely a new heart so that we can trust in him and be saved by faith or by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. We're not saved by our merits, our good works, or deserving of righteousness by our efforts. It's by faith alone that we are declared righteous. Righteousness is both positional and progressive. Sanctification 101. It means at the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you see that thief on the cross, and that moment positionally, and his position was like this, dying. In that moment, he was saved by grace because of his faith he put in Jesus that day. When you reach out and cry out to Jesus in faith, in that moment, you are, you are seen as righteous and holy before God alone, God Almighty. But it's also progressive. It's something you continue to work on, becoming more and more like him. Sanctification, it's both positionally right there in that moment, in your position before the God of the universe. He doesn't see you for what he should see you for, the natural, sinful enemy of God. Instead, he sees you as his righteous, holy son because it's Jesus' righteousness that's put to our account, not our own. That's what faith alone is all about. I told you earlier about a radical and scandalous statement. Let me read this for you. A radical, scandalous statement. Let it sink in, especially those of you church leaders in this church. Listen to this. The doctrine of sola fide, which is faith alone, the doctrine of faith alone means no one, listen to this, means that no one should have to put aside their sinful ways to become a Christian. That's scandalous because we're taught you've got to stop drinking and smoking. You have, uh, you're, you're confused about your sexual identity. You've got you to stop that. You're living together. You've been living together, unmarried, for 10 years. Guess what? You've got to move out, separate. You can't stay together anymore. The doctrine of faith alone means that no one should have to put aside sinful ways to become a Christian or to be received by churches as a Christian. That's radical. That's scandalous. Can you be gay and be a Christian? The power to change one's character and behavior can come only after one has met Jesus Christ. So please don't tell someone who's gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender, someone who's got a a, a serious addiction to alcohol or drugs, someone who is doing whatever it is you deem is not measuring up to you, the glory of you. This person has fallen short of the glory of you. (laughs) Yeah? 
For all have fallen short of the glory of you. Whatever it is that they've fallen short of in your mind and heart, I want to tell you, don't do that. Allow them to come to Christ just as they are. And in that moment, yes, gay, lesbian, addict, drug addict, homeless, whatever it is that you deem is just despicable in the sight of the holy God. Whatever it is in that moment, they're declared righteous. I'm sorry, but it's true. Declared righteous in that moment. But the power to change one's character and behavior comes only after they meet Jesus Christ. You see, their character and their behavior will change. But only after they meet Jesus. No newcomer to Christianity should be led to think, I have to quit stealing to be loved by God. I have to stop being gay to be loved by God. I have to stop doing drugs to be loved by God. I have to stop filling the blanks, whatever it is, in order to be loved by God. No newcomer to Christianity should be led to think, I have to, stop quitting, I have to quit stealing to be loved by God. Rather, he or she should begin to think, because I am loved by God, I want to stop stealing. And we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So when people from all walks of life walk into this church building and they sit amongst us and they begin to worship with us, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do and that's begin to change their character and their behavior to literally change the DNA of that person's makeup because their DNA says they're enemies of God. Their their DNA, because of our ancestor Adam, is all about deception and evilness and depravity. And sin and transgressions. But we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their life and be patient with them and work in their life. We need to come alongside of them and help them along. Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 10 verses. Ephesians chapter 2, while you're, while you're looking for that, let me read it again. The doctrine. Of faith alone means no one should have to put aside their sinful ways to become a Christian or be received by churches as a Christian. The power to change one's character and behavior can come only after one has met Jesus Christ. No newcomer to Christianity should be led to think, I have to quit uh, stealing to be loved by God. Rather, he or she should think, because I am loved by God, I want to quit stealing. That was Frank Chan, and he's a professor in the doctrinal program at Nyack University, which is a Christian Missionary Alliance university. How wonderful is it that we have a professor at a Christian Missionary Alliance university teaching young students coming up through seminary, going into the doctrinal program, that type of faith alone doctrine. I praise God he's not teaching them. Listen, when you get new converts, to, new converts to the church, make sure they're not doing all these things before you lead them to Jesus. When you kneel at the altar with them and you say, how can I pray for you? And they say, I just need Jesus in my life. Don't say to them, well, let me give you this test first. Do you drink? Do you smoke? Do, do you do this? Are you this? Oh, you're living in a lesbian relationship? Oh, man. Listen, we've got to fix all these things first, and then I'll lead you to Jesus. Man, I'm, praise God we have people in our universities teaching faith alone. But I want to be clear on this. God doesn't want you to stay in those, way, in those ways. 
God hasn't created a new heart in you that you might live in the old heart. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to break it up into three sections. We're going to move quickly because this is amazing, awesome stuff. But we're going to move quickly because I want you to, pro- I want you to pour it into your hearts. And then I want you to take it home. And I want you to wrestle with it and process it. Write notes down and go home and think through this. Read the word, details, line by line, verse by verse for yourself. And see if God may be stirring something in your heart. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to break it up into three sections. So if you've got your bulletin, you can put in there number 1, verses 1 through 3. This is about the old position. And we're going we're gonna to unpack this in a little bit. But three sections, verses 1 through 3. It's the old position. That you're dead in your transgressions and in your sin. Old position, verses 1 through 3, dead in your transgressions and your sin. The second section I want to read for you is verses 4 through 7. This is a new position. It's like the Old Testament and New Testament right before us here in, in just 10 verses. The second session is going to be, or section is new position, verses 4 through 7. This is that you are alive in Christ. And finally, the third section is verses 8 through 10, faith alone. So let me read for you the first three verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were dead in our transgressions. Dead. Let that word sink in. Paul was very purposeful when he chose that word. The word dead in the Greek is nekros, if I'm saying that correctly. And I'm probably not, but most of you aren't Greek scholars, so you don't know the difference. Something. The word dead in the Greek is nekros, which literally means, and this might sound gross and kind of crazy, but it literally means a corpse, a rotting corpse. Or a dead body. You see, the English language paints a picture, but the Greek paints a ginormous picture. So when he said, you are dead in your transgressions and sin, the people there understood that to mean, you're telling me I'm like a rotting, dead corpse? You're mean, I'm like a stinky, dead body? Now, since we know that Paul is talking about a spiritual state, not a physical state, we must understand this deadness refers to our spiritual life. You see, the Ephesians here that he was writing to, and again, he's writing to us, the Ephesians here were alive physically, but they were dead spiritually. I see a whole lot of dead people walking around here. And I'm one of them from time to time. Most times. Paul chooses this comparison because it accurately describes not only the nature of an unbeliever, but also the impossibility of an unbeliever to recognize and correct his own condition. 
Again, sounds completely gross, but just as a dead, rotting corpse cannot revive itself to life, it just can't. Neither can an unbeliever revive his own spirit to new life. Death is the absence of communicating with the living. Death is the absence of communicating with the living. I'm sorry. There's a whole lot of psychics out there claiming they can talk to the dead. I don't believe it for one second. Whoever they're communicating to is not who who they think. You see, the devil's not just any regular being. He's the ruler of the air. You know, he that controls the air controls everything. How do you know? Because you put a a battle, you, you get a battle going on on the field. And the side that has air they're going to win every time. He's, he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The devil's powerful. And these people running around saying, claiming they can communicate with the dead, they're communicating all right, but they're communicating straight up with the devil, and it's dangerous, and they think they have control of it, but they don't. You know, there's a new television program on, I think it's the Discovery Channel, Psychic Kids. Children who believe they are communicating with the dead and ghosts and spirits. It's depravity. Lovers of evil. Boastful, proud, arrogant. Death is the absence of communication with the living. Because God is an active, living God, when we are dead spiritually, we cannot communicate with God. But God, here's that two words again, but God has made a way. You see, when we're dead in our transgressions and dead is the absence of communicating with the living and God is a living God, when we're dead and he's alive, we can't communicate with him. But God stepped in and made a way. The dark background of verses 1 through 3, that's the old position we used to be in. Objects of wrath, doom, punishment, judgment. That's the old position we used to be in. Like the thief hanging on the cross, that was his old position. But the moment he said, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you, just remember me. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And his new position, as soon as he died, he became alive in Christ and he was in paradise with him. First section is all about the old position, dead in your transgressions. The dark background of those three verses are in contrast with the glorious wonderment of God's saving grace in verses 4 through 7, which is our new position in Christ. Let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. But because of his great love for us, there's that but God but because of his great love for us, in other words, he didn't want us to stay there. He, he's not going to allow us to, to stay in that miry depth where we're just sinking and dying. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive. You see, before the old position, we were dead in our transgressions. But here, because of his great mercy, has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved, verse 6, and God raised us up, a new position. We were cowering in the corner, we were hiding and we were scared, we were crying. 
But God raises our chin up and our head up and he picks us up and he puts us in a new position. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Amen? We've got a new position. The old position is we were dead in in our transgressions. The new position is we are alive in Christ. But because of his great love. But is an action word. But is an action word. B-U-T, not B-U-T-T. But is an action word. And here's whose action it is. It's God's action, not ours. doesn't say, but because of Tim... But because of Art, but because of Jim Lotz, but because of Nate Tucker, it doesn't say because of us. But is an action word, and the action is God's and God's alone. It's because of his action, not ours, but God. Two amazing words. My debt was drowning me, but God. My marriage was headed for divorce, but God. My son or grandson has walked away from their faith. He's not even the little boy that I I remember. I don't even know who he is anymore, but God. My health was failing, but God. This addiction was killing me, but God. But God stepped in and made a new way. You don't have to live in that old position anymore there's a new position for you and you're seated right with christ by grace alone through faith alone verse 8 through 10 ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 through 10 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not for yourselves it is a free gift of god not by works so that no one can boast For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This morning, I want to share with you to stop running. Stop sitting in that old position. Stop working so hard to get out of the position you're in to a new position when all you need to do is have faith just as you are. Stop trying on your own to fix it and figure it out. Surrender. Throw your hands up and like the thief on the cross, admit you deserve death. You deserve the judgment that's coming. But cry out to the life giver. And that's Jesus Christ. You're dead, but God makes you alive. You're addicted, but God sets you free. Your marriage is failing, but God can restore that marriage. Bring back the intimacy and the love and the passion. Your kid is far, far from home. He's walked away from his faith. He, he, you, you can't even imagine. You don't even recognize him anymore. But God can step in and heal that young man or woman. And like the prodigal son, bring him home. Saving grace through faith alone. Last thing I want to share with you is a simple little analogy. I visited a couple people this week that had surgery. I don't know that either one were life-saving, but I can tell you that they felt a lot better once they had their surgeries. They felt as though they had been given new life, you know? How many of you ever had to go in and have a kidney stone removed? How many of you ever had to have an appendix or a gallbladder removed? I remember one year, several years ago, I had to have my gallbladder removed. I was here in this church, 
And I was suffering so bad. And I, had to, I was the morning host that morning. And I came up on the stage, did the announcements with a big smile on my face. And I went and sat down like about right there where Jordan Lunsford is sitting. I leaned over to my wife. I said, did I do okay? She goes, yeah, you did fine. I said, I'm dying. I don't think, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I think I'm going to die. I mean, really, I was in pain. I was like sweating. I was bad. And I sat through the message and I sat through everything. I got up. I remember walking this way. Went out there and went straight to urgent care. They took me right in the emergency room and boom, they took my gallbladder out because it was like I was going to die. There was no way. I tried everything. I thought if I lay down, if I set up, if I do this, if I drink a milkshake, you know, <laughs> I literally thought that. I wish that were a joke, but it's not. Nothing I did seemed to work. And I finally came to a conclusion. I said, I can't do this anymore. You know, honey, babe, you got to take me to the emergency room, urgent care, something. So she took me. On the way there, we got a milkshake. (laughs) But consider life-saving surgery. You know you need life-saving surgery. You read up on it. You go to webmd.com. You look up all your symptoms. You try to figure it out. And you realize that if you don't have this surgery, you will not make it much longer. You cannot go on without this life-changing, life-saving surgery You have come to understand that there's nothing you can do to fix your current situation. It's not going away. You've tried over and over and over. You've tried everything. But it's not going away. You simply cannot remedy the situation on your own efforts. And so you have to have surgery. In fact, you must let go of your efforts. And you must have surgery. You must put your trust in the doctors and the nurses And the surgeons, you must. You must lay down on that operating table. They wheel you into that room, and you've never felt such coldness in your life when you roll into that room. Naked with just a sheet on you, and you're laying down in this sterile, cold area that's freezing cold, and you're on a stainless steel table. Yeah? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But this has to be done. It's not what you want to do. You'd much rather be out doing something else, but you have to do this. You're scared to death. But you must relinquish full control of yourself, completely vulnerable, laid literally bare, probably arms stretched out. And then a guy comes up over you and does this number. Makes you start feeling like Darth Vader. And he says, you're going to count backwards from 10 and you're going to go out. And you go 10, 9, finally you've surrendered. You must let go of all your efforts. You must see that it's the only way to receive life again. Otherwise, you're going to die in the state you're in. You're going to die if you don't have the surgery. Saving faith is letting go of your works and your merits and begin trusting Christ alone as your only suitable and all-sufficient Savior. In order to receive the life-saving grace that you must receive, otherwise you will die, you've got to put your faith alone in Jesus Christ. I pray you put your faith in Jesus. We need to ask him to give you faith today. Leave here differently than you came in. And say, Jesus, give me faith. Just, Just help my unbelief, the word of God says, 
story about a man that went to Jesus. Jesus, just help me with my unbelief. It's so hard for me. And Jesus would say, I'll help you with that. Put your faith in me. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I thank you so much that we're able to be here and be in this place. Lord, I pray that you bless us this morning with a deep measure of faith. A deep measure of faith that we could just love you unconditionally as you love us unconditionally. We're scared and uncertain, but Father God, we know that you love us. Pray you bless us and keep us. Draw us closer to yourself. Overwhelm us in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand me? We're going to close in a closing song.